Chapter 2 of Cripps the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2 The Swing of the Pickaxe. The baker's boy felt that his luck was askew upon this day of his existence, for Carrier Cripps was vexed so much at this sudden demand for his sister that he had never even thought of asking the boy to have a glass of home brewed ale. Zack, what made you send the boy away? Esther asked when she came downstairs with her bonnet and short cloak on. Of course I am very foolish, but he would have been some little company. There now, I never thought of it. I am doiled, I do believe, sometimes. Tramp with you to the bar myself, I will. Sarve me right for a doin' of it. Indeed, then you won't, she answered firmly. There's a hard day's work for you, Zack, tomorrow with all the Christmas parcels and your touch of rheumatics so bad last week. Why, bless the child, I be as hearty as ever. Of course you are, Zack, of course you are, and think not of a sack of potatoes, but if you desire to come with me one step, backward is the only step I take. Well, well, said the carrier, glad on the whole to escape a long walk and keep conscience clear. When you say a thing, Eddie, what good is it? Brown these here parts, none would army, and none of they furriners be about just now. Good night, Zack. Good night, dear, cried Esther to shorten departure, for Cripps was a man of a slow turn of mind and might go on for an hour or two. I shall sleep there tonight, of course, and meet you at the Golden Cross tomorrow. When had I best be there? Well, you know better than I do. It might be one o'clock. Or it might be two, or it might be half past three almost. All you have to do is this to leave word at the bar with Sally Brown. I shall do nothing of the sort, she answered. I don't like bars, and I don't like Miss Brown. I shall look in the yard for the cart, brother. You'll do pretty much as you like. That much I may be cocksure of. But before he could finish his exposition of his sister's character, she was out of sight, and he dropped his grumble and doubted his mind about letting her go, nor that any one at all of the neighborhood would hurt her, but that there had been much talk about a camp of dark-skinned people in Crowley Marsh not long ago. Therefore he laid his palm flat from his eyebrows to follow the distance further, and seeing no more than the hedges of the lane, now growing in the cold wind naked, and the track of the lane, from wet mud slaking into light-colored crustiness, without any figures or sound or shadow or sense of life moving anywhere, he made for the best side of the cottage door and brightened up the firelight. The weather had been for some few weeks in a good constitutional English state, that is to say, it had no settled tendency towards anything, or at any rate so it seemed to people who took little heed of it, there had been a little rain, and then a little snow, and a touch of frost, and then a sample of fog, and so on, trying all varieties to suit the British public. True Britons, however, had grumbled duly at each successive overture, so that the winter was now resolving henceforth only to please itself, and this determined will was in the wind, the air, and the earth itself, just when night began to fall on this dark day of December. As Esther turned the corner from Beckley Lane into the road, the broad coach road to Oxford, she met a wind that knew its mind coming over the crest of Shotover, a stern east wind that whistled sadly over the brown and barren fields and bitterly piped in the roadway, 
To the chill of this blast, the sere oak leaves shivered in the dusk and rattled. The gray ash saplings bent their naked length to get away from it, and the surly stubs of the hedge went to and fro to one another. The slimy dips of the path began to rib themselves like fronds of fern, and to shrink into wrinkles and sinewy knobs, while the broader puddles, though scurred by the breeze, found the network of ice veiling over them. This, as it crusted, began to be capable of consistent quivering, with a frail infinitude of spikelets, crossing and yet carrying into one another, and the cold work, marred every now and then by the hurry of the wind that urged it, in the main was going on so fast that the force of the water ceased to glisten, and instead of ruffling lifted, and instead of waving wavered, so that as the surface trembled any level eye might see little splinters held as are the ribs and harl of feathers, spreading and rising like stems of lace, and then with a smooth, crisp jostle sinking as the wind flew over them, into the quavering consistence of a coverlet of ice. Esther Cripps took little heed of these things, or in any other of the matter of weather except to say to herself now and then how bitter cold the wind was, and that she feared it would turn to snow, and how she longed to be sitting with a cup of Aunt Exie's caudle in the snug room next to the bakehouse, or how glad she would be to get only as far as the first house of St. Clement's, to see the lamps and the lights in the shops, and be quit of this dreary loneliness for now it must be three market days since fearful rumors began to stir in several neighboring villages, which made even strong men discontent with solitude towards nightfall. And as for the women, now just poor Esther would rather not think of what they declared. It was all very well to pretend to doubt it while hanging the clothes out or turning the mangle, but as for laughing out here in the dark and a mile away from the nearest house, good Lord! how that white owl frightened her. Being a sensible and brave girl, she forced her mind as well as she could into another channel, and lifted a cover of the basket in which she had some nice things for Aunt Exie, and then she set off for a bold little run until she was out of breath, and trembling at the sound of her own light feet. For though all Cripses were known to be of a firm and resolute fiber, who could expect a young maid like this to tramp on like a Roman sentinel? and the lucky thing for her it was that she tried nothing of the sort, but glided along with her heart in her mouth, and her short skirt tucked up round her. Lucky also for her that the ground, which she so little heeded and so wanted to get over, was in that early stage of freezing, or of drying to forestall frost, in which a deadened sound as much as the later stage enlivens it, Otherwise, it is doubtful whether she would have seen the Christmas dressing of the shops in Oxford. For a little further on she came, without so much as a cow in the road or a sheep in the field for company, to a dark, narrow place, where the way hung over the verge of a stony hollow, an ancient pit which had once been worked as part of the quarries of Headington. This had long been of bad repute as a haunted and ill-omened place, and even the carrier himself, strong and resolute as he was, felt no shame in whispering when he passed by in the moonlight, and the name of the place was the Gypsy's Grave. Therefore, as Esther Cripps approached it, she was half inclined to wait and hide herself in a bush or gap until a cart or wagon should come down the hill behind her, 
or an honest dairyman whistling softly to reassure his shadow, or even a woman no braver than herself. But neither any cart came near nor any other kind of company, only the violence of the wind and the keen increase of the frostbite, so that the girl made up her mind to put the best foot foremost and run through her terrors at such a pace that none of them could lay hold of her. Through yards of darkness she skimmed the ground in haste only to be rid of it, without looking forward or over her shoulders or anywhere when she could help it. And now she was ready to laugh at herself and her stupid fears as she caught through the trees a glimpse of the lights of Oxford down in the lowland, scarcely more than a mile and a half away from her. In the joy of relief she was ready to jump and pant without fear of the echoes, when suddenly something caught her ears. This was not a thing at first to be at all afraid of, but only just enough to rouse a little curiosity. It seemed to be nothing more or less than the steady stroke of a pickaxe. The sound came from the further corner of the deserted quarry, where a crest of soft and shingly rock overhung a briery thicket. Any person working there would be quite out of sight from the road, by reason of the bend of the hollow. The blow of the tool came dull and heavy on the dark and frosty wind, and Esther almost made up her mind to run on and take no heed of it, and so she would have done, no doubt, if she had not been a Cripps girl. But in this family firm and settled opinions had been handed down concerning the rights of property, the rights that overcome all wrongs and outlive death. The brother Leviticus of Stowe Wood had sown a piece of waste at the corner of the clevis with winter carrots for his herd of swine. The land being none of his thus far, his right to treat it was not established, and therefore likely to be attacked by any rapacious engrocher. Esther felt all such things keenly and resolved to find out what was going on. To this intent she gathered in the skirt of her frock and fulling of her cloak, and fending the twigs from her eyes and bonnet, quietly slipped through a gap in the hedge, for she knew that a steep track trodden by children in the blackberry season led from this gap to the deep and tangled bottom of the quarry. With care and fear she went softly down and followed the curve of the hollow. The heavy sound of the pickaxe ceased as she came near and nearer, and the muttering of rough voices made her shrink into a nook and listen. "'Tell ye, I did see summit movin,' said a man whom she could dimly make out in the beetling ridge above her by the light of the clearing eastern sky. "'A summit movin' down yonder, I tell ye.' "'No patience, I had no patience with ye.' answered a taller man, coming forward and speaking with a guttural twang, as the roof of his mouth were imperfect. "'Skeery Jem is your name and nature. Give me the pick of ye beast of eared. Is this job to be finished tonight or not?' The answer was only a growl or an oath, and the swing of the tool began again, while Esther's fright grew hot and thumped in her heart and made her throat swell was all she could do to keep quiet breath and prevent herself from screaming, for something told her that she was watching a darker crime than the theft of roots or robbery of a sheepfold. In a short or long time she knew not which, as she still lay hid and dared not show her face above the gorse tuft, a sound of sliding and falling shale heavily shook her refuge. She drew herself closer and prayed to the Lord and clasped her hands before her eyes and cowered, expecting to be killed at least. And then, 
she peeped forth to know what it was about. She never had harmed any mortal body. Why should she be frightened so? In the catch of the breath, which comes when sudden courage makes gulp at uncertainty, she lifted herself by a stiff old root to know the very worst of it. Better almost to be killed and be done with than bear the heart-pang of this terrible fear. And there she saw a thing that struck her so aback with amazement that every timid sense was mute. Whether the sky began to shed a hovering light or the girl's own eyes spread and bred a power of vision from their nervous dilation, at any rate she saw in the darkness what she had not seen till now. It was the body of a young woman, such a body as herself might be, lying only with white things around it in the black corner, with gravel and earth and pieces of rock rolling down on it. There was nothing to frighten a sensible person now that the worst was known, perhaps. Everybody must be buried at some time. Why should she be frightened so? However, Esther Cripps fell faint and lay in that state long enough for tons of burying rock to fall and secret barriers to depart. End of chapter 2